It's taken me a long time to talk about over-functioning because it's taken me a long time to recognize that it's even a thing. I've seen it in people close to me, and now I've been seeing it in myself. And here's the part that's a revelation to me. Like, overdoing things when other people could kind of do them themselves is actually really bad for relationships. So overfunctioning is when you have a habit of doing more than your share of work or paying for things that other people could pay their fair share of or feeling that you have to accomplish this huge list of things, which sometimes is just how things are, frankly. But when you're overfunctioning, the telltale sign is that you feel resentful and burned out. It feels like other people make you do it through their own underfunctioning. But in reality, you're in a two-way dynamic with them. Overfunctioning is a little like codependence. There's a lot of overlap, and I'll talk about a little bit more about that in a minute. But overfunctioning is exhausting and it alienates you from people in your life because of criticism and impatience that's implied by your stepping into their domain of responsibilities and thinking that you have to do it for them. It gives you a harsh vibe and it makes people feel nervous around you. That's my experience. So I started researching overfunctioning uh, several months ago when a friend of mine went from being super kind and super generous, maybe a little too generous, you know, with helping me out and stuff. But then they ghosted me for a while. And when I complained about that, they blew up the relationship. And I was totally confused and hurt. And I didn't see it coming. And yeah, I was angry. Now keep in mind, a lot of people in my life have complex PTSD, and so all around me are people with big hearts and high sensitivity, which is mostly a good thing, but sometimes it's really hard. And when my friend did this, I had no idea what was going on. And so I consulted a couple of knowledgeable people, a friend and a professional, and that's when someone suggested that the friend in question was not only showing trauma-driven behavior, and possibly some other things in that department, but in particular, this friend was an over-functioner and a light went on for me. You know how it feels really good sometimes when you get a name for the thing that's been hurting you and driving you nuts? And a little bit it's like, yay, <laughs> there's something to blame. I know what this is. And there's a way to prove it's not just me and I'm not crazy and I didn't just imagine this. But I could instantly see, oh my gosh, I've done this too. And now I've had a chance to look at it. I believe that it's a trauma reaction in its own right, over-functioning, and no one hardly ever discusses it. It's kind of underexplored. Uh, it's, you know, it appears, I've seen it in Al-Anon literature, like doing too much. It's in codependence literature, but it's kind of a thing onto its own. I want to talk about that. So as you may have suspected, over-functioning is often the result of a childhood where parents under-functioned. In fact, over-functioners almost always are involved with underfunctioners somewhere in their lives, at work, in their marriages, in, and in the beginning with parents, right? Now, the crucial way that parents underfunction is they don't provide necessary care and attention that a kid needs. So when a kid doesn't get that, they develop an anxiousness. I know I did. That mom and dad aren't looking out for you, they can't protect you, and they aren't going to make sure that everyone is safe and somebody has to step in and deal. So you did. 
I did. We did it when we were teenagers. We did it when we were in school and smaller, and we might even remember doing it as a toddler. And like a lot of trauma-driven habits, overfunctioning starts as a survival strategy. And now it's just overstated. It's welcome. And it's making you feel overwhelmed and stressed and it's hurting your relationships because just like underfunctioners in your life weren't there for you, overfunctioning keeps you not present as well. Overfunctioning is a reflexive attempt to deal with anxiety. And CPTSD definitely brings with it a lot of anxiety. So it feels so logical to try to get things under control. But this depends on kind of controlling other people. So you feel like everything's okay. And what I realized about my own overfunctioning tendencies is that the urge to like get things organized doesn't always make things more organized or calmer. It actually just introduces more friction in my life. So it's really normal for people with CPTSD to keep using old coping mechanisms and then eventually see they're not working. And that's kind of what CPTSD recovery is like. Things get uncomfortable, then you have to face it and change. But how do you change when it feels like stuff is just not getting done? For one thing, so long as you're over-functioning, you are actually amplifying other people's under-functioning. So this raises the stakes and it makes it feel like, oh, everything's going to hell all the time. I have to do something. It feels more necessary than ever that you step in and take over. And it will feel very natural to you that you must do it. And when you've just attracted more underfunctioning from people around you, it'll feel like a coincidence, like bad luck, like, oh, here we go again. You know, somebody can't come through for me but you're drawn to underfunctioners like a moth to the flame. We kind of need each other. Their problem is kind of a drug for us because it allows us to go into high gear with the way we cope with stress. If you didn't have anybody to fix, you know, what would happen with that underfunctioning urge? You'd probably feel a sense of withdrawal, emptiness, more anxiety, right? You'd have to face problems in your life. Now, all that stuff actually would be very productive. So the longer we go on trying to over-function and get other people to cooperate with our plans in this way, the longer we're putting off dealing with our own healing. Both under-functioners and over-functioners are reacting to stress. Underfunctioners calm themselves by abandoning responsibility for things that feel chaotic, and overfunctioners calm themselves by intensely trying to get control of the chaos so that they can stop feeling anxious. You probably know both kinds of people. You probably have both tendencies within yourself to some degree, right? So here are some signs of overfunctioning. You feel in your bones that you're the only person who can properly manage certain tasks or projects. And I know this might be true in some situations, but I'm talking about sort of a whole self orientation, like you always go there. And I confess, I have this. You find yourself thinking, I want to delegate this task, but it's just easier if I do it myself. You know what that is? Delegating tasks and having to help somebody learn it is frustrating sometimes and can be dysregulating. And that's, that's like the default thing with CPTSD. It's like, oh, something that makes me dysregulated. I unconsciously try to avoid it. So I just think I'll just do it myself. I won't get dysregulated and that will be easier. Or another sign is giving unsolicited advice. Even though no one asked for help, you believe 
that you got to speak up. You need to be helpful to somebody else because your insights and suggestions about relationships or what they eat or how they think or how they manage their lives, like they need to know this. That is over-functioning talking to you. It's actually not appropriate to do that. Who knew, right? Maybe you set goals for the people who are close to you that are not actually their goals for themselves. That would be, you know, that's pretty strong. And uh, that is really stepping outside your hula hoop into somebody else's to try to like envision where they need to go. And that's a lot of how um, people with CPTSD can end up in relationships that are actually not acceptable to them because in the beginning they were overlaying. So have you done this? You get together with somebody, there's problems there. You don't want to see them at first because if the relationship goes forward, it solves loneliness. So you don't look at certain things, but then it becomes all too apparent and you try to make them change to fit the idea that you had of them in the first place. But I'm telling you, that is not love. It's not sustainable. It's um, it's a unkind thing to do to somebody else is to say, oh, I'm really into you. And then like, but now that I see how you are, you have to change for me. All right. You finish people's sentences or you talk a lot more to them than listen to them. I don't know who does that at all. Hmm. <laughs> or this is one. You do things for people only because leaving them to do it themselves feels like it's just going to be done wrong and that will make a mess or because you think the other person is anxious about doing it and you can't stand them feeling anxious. So you step in here. Let me get that for you. But you're the one who's anxious. You only feel at peace when you feel like you got everything under control. So one of the articles I read asked, do you find yourself reminding other people that they should hurry up and book their travel? And I was like, wait a minute. No, but you have to do that. Right. And in my family, you do. And so that was one for me to think about, like what would happen if I didn't do that? If I let other people book their travel in their own time and, you know, I just get worried. Well, they're not going to get the best rate. They are going to arrive at different times. I'll end up having to go pick them up at the airport when I'm on vacation. You know, I have all these considerations, but it just, you know, this was like a whole new thing to me to think I don't actually have to make other people's arrangements. I could just make my own. So hmm, I don't know how I feel about that yet. <laughs> it would be kind of messy, but <laughs> it's like other overfunctioning things. It's a dynamic that gets stuck like that. And the more you overhelp people, overhelp, the more they either push you away or they rely on you to move their life forward. And, and then you resent the, the way that people around you rely on you, the way they leave all the responsibility to you. That's the key sign that you're over-functioning. Uh, they're under-functioning because you're over-functioning. It's kind of like the only thing there's room for at a certain point. And I've talked, I've talked here about emotional flashbacks. That's like something that people with CPTSD get from a memory where you may not even have words. You don't even know what it is. You just have the feeling. And um, my emotional flash, flashbacks tend to be first thing in the morning. And I wake up feeling like I have to do everything. And that's what was so interesting for me. It's like over-functioning is recognized out there in the broader psychology world. But I'm just seeing how the emotional flashback of not being taken care of and like, I have to do everything. And I'm, I'm like angry. I'm anxious that, that, that leads to over-functioning. So, you know, when I'm making everybody an airline reservation, there's not really a lot of friction, but when I wake up in the morning 
with a harsh energy going, oh gosh, you know, we didn't get stuff done. I go to my husband, I'm like, honey, you know, I've got 10 things. I've got up before you and I was listing them what you have to do. I do this sometimes. And my workaround is I just learned to like back off, to just go slowly. And then I can find a way to talk to him where I don't just like bombard him when he first wakes up. I wake up really early. You know, I'm pretty much always up like a couple hours earlier. And, <laughs> and when he sees that look on my face, like I've got a big list in my mind, he, he kind of backs off. He doesn't really want to connect with me when I'm in that space. It's a harsh energy. And I see now that is over-functioning. And I told him, and I said, I'm really sorry. I heard a name for this, that thing I do. And he was so diplomatic. He was like, that's good. Yeah. Cause you do do that. <laughs> he wasn't pushy. Very nice. <laughs> Not an overfunctioner, you know. He didn't get in there and go, you know what, you really ought to do. You ought to read this book. You ought to da da da. You ought to. He didn't. He didn't try to solve it at all. He just was glad that I was dealing with it. So that's that's what somebody does when they don't jump in. All right. So a big form of overfunctioning that I see in people who follow my channel is when they do a whole bunch of research and even pay to take my classes because they're trying to get someone else to realize that their past trauma is affecting them. So, you know, they're, they have a partner who they believe has CPTSD. They, they'll often complain and my partner doesn't admit it. They won't do anything about it and they have to. So that's over-functioning. Now you could be right that your partner has really has CPTSD. You could be right that they have symptoms that are impossible to live with. But the actual sane perspective is to look at that as it is. You could say maybe one time and just say, I kind of think you might have CPTSD. You might be interested in checking this out. Let me know if you want to see some literature. I've been reading about it. Kind of strikes me like something that fits. Well, most partners are just going to be like, uh-huh. They're not going to, they're not going to be that interested. And so then what do you do? Well, if that anxiety kicks up that you've got to get them to understand, that's your overfunctioning. And I think when relationships are kind of falling apart and you're feeling like, you know, or, or you, it's like you have alcoholism, you've got to go to meetings. You said you would, that was what our relationship was built on, but they're choosing not to go to meetings or they say they're going, but you realize they're not. See, that's when over-functioning can just like verge over into something a little worse even. And, and, you know, there's an overlap with codependence. And I was thinking a lot about what's the difference. There is a difference. And in some ways, codependence is worse and in some ways over-functioning is worse. Both of them make for a very difficult relationship. If you're dating someone and you're just trying to make them change, it's, it's not a good relationship. And if they're trying to make you change, it's not a good relationship. Your efforts to fix them are actually cries for help from yourself to yourself. And the fact that you're buying books, it's, oh, it's a common pattern for the people I coach that they are neglecting their own personal development and the problem of why are they all attached to somebody they don't approve of. That in itself is a problem that deserves your, your, your attention. And instead of getting self-help books for other people, you know, maybe you want to get self-help books for yourself. And I've had about boundaries, about, about relationships. Um, and I've had people ask if it was okay to send self-help books to exes. Um, like my ex is a narcissist. I want to send them a book on narcissism. And I say, yeah, well, you're asking my opinion. No, that's not okay. It's time to stop focusing on them. They're your ex. And they're an ex and in, in cases where, you know, a person has already decided somebody has this terrible character problem, they're, they're horrible. I'm going to send them a book and fix them anyway. That's when you're kind of going, you're going into codependence in a bad way. 
where your happiness, you're sort of putting a, like a mosquito, you know, dipping into them or your idea of them to get your energy. And, um, and that's, that's where I'm going to say that codependence is something different. It's like sucking energy from somebody else. Whereas over-functioning, it's broader than that, right? It's, it includes, it includes that kind of behavior, but over-functioning also includes just trying to accomplish a whole bunch of stuff for the, you know, because you're afraid of poverty, for example. So you work extra hours all the time and resentfully, you know, a lot, many of us have to, have to go above and beyond in life. Many of us have to care for loved ones, you know, when they can't care for themselves. So I'm not saying it's always sick, but the sign that it's not going well inside for you is that you're bitter and resentful about it, that you don't understand like, why does it always have to be me? It probably has to do with you. When you've been putting a whole bunch of energy into somebody else and how you imagine they need to change or how they need to get things in order, when you've been doing that, if you stop, there's going to be a period of withdrawal. And when you take the focus back on your own life, it can be hard because that's kind of what you've been running from. And it's usually, it's usually an overblown fear that if you were to look at yourself, you could hardly live with yourself, but it's really seldom that bad. And in fact, the way to feel good about yourself is to let go. It's amazing how much energy you get back when you just release other people, let the chips fall where they may, and just save that energy to spend on yourself. But first, there can be this phase of like a feeling of helplessness, emptiness, fear, panic, because that's what you've been doing. You've been avoiding those feelings by latching on to this control thing. Now, it's uncomfortable worrying that someone isn't okay. It's natural to want to help them when you can see that somebody's struggling a little bit. Maybe you see somebody cooking and you see them getting kind of stressed out and hurried and you want to jump in and you want to help make the whole thing come off, but you can ask, do you want some help? Um, let's say a, a blind person is preparing to cross the street. Well, it's actually kind of rude to go up and say, and you know, try to get them to take your arm. You can ask, do you need any help? And they can say yes or no. And usually they will say no, because I know a lot of blind people as it happens, and they're very good at making their needs known. Who knows? Maybe they're not. It's not rude to ask, but it's rude to just go in there and assume and start grabbing somebody's arm. That's over-functioning. It's natural to want to help people, not just for other people's sake, but if you're an over-functioner, because it helps you relieve the stress of worrying that somebody's not okay, a feeling that you're responsible to fix it. That that's just like, the universe believes you are the one always, and who, you know, there could be seven people standing around, and you think you're the one. So in reality, people do best when they solve their own problems. When other people try to manage things for them, it tends to backfire. <laughs> they become dependent or resentful. And overfunctioning is also, it's controlling. It's, a, it's controlling other people so that you don't feel anxious. And even if the other person agrees to let you play this role, it's an unhealthy dynamic where, you know, you have to control things all the time. It's, and it's totally toxic for romantic relationships. Instead of like romantic partners, it's more like a parent-child dynamic, which shuts both people down emotionally and sexually and leads to bitterness and resentment for both people. And the overfunctioner burns out. So why do we overfunction? Anyone could get into this habit. All the reading I've done points to neglect in childhood and insecure attachment, not being able to count on your parents, having to learn to do everything yourself, that'll do it. And I don't know about you, but there was a period of time 
where I was doing a lot of baby care for my sister. And this was when I was just like six or seven years old. I was getting her through the night. I was making her bottle. I was changing her diapers. And as we got a little bit older, I had to worry about food for both of us and bathing and putting on clothes and getting me to school on time. And there were some weeks when my third grade teachers, they were like a married couple, they would let me bring my little sister with me to school because you know no adults would be there. There was so much neglect going on for a period that I would wake up and there were no adults in the house. So I took my sister to school. I was always a bit of an overfunctioner. It's like I like staying home from school wasn't an option. That would have made me very anxious. I had to be good. I had to follow the rules. I had to be on time. So my teachers knew what was going on at home. I think they had an idea. And this was in the days when the rules were more relaxed at school. And so my sister just came with us for a few weeks. She had school lunch. She hung out and played. Everybody was nice to her. And um, I'm really grateful for that. I think also overfunctioning is a slightly maladaptive way to avoid neurological dysregulation that so often goes with childhood trauma or to calm dysregulation once it's active. And I feel like that's true for me. When I get overwhelmed, I feel like it helps me to get a plan. And if my plan is to make other people comply with my plan, I'm overfunctioning. But if my plan is just like to tidy up the kitchen, to make a list of stuff I need to do, that's, that's respectable. That's a good thing to do sometimes in overwhelm. So I talk on my channel about emotional flashbacks, and I believe this is often what does drive overfunctioning. There's a deep memory of helplessness and a feeling that something has to be done. And overfunctioning clearly overlaps with that, and it overlaps with codependence, which is where we focus on changing other people as a way to feel okay about ourselves. And, um, you know, I talked a little bit about what the difference is. I think just codependence is a little more about the other person and we're addicted to have it, to getting them to change for some vision that we have. And overfunctioning, you know, is broader than that. Um, it can also be about trying to be the most perfect, amazing, accomplished person in the room or being driven to the point of exhaustion and burnout. So the dark side, when you're dealing with another person who overperforms, is that they crash. They do amazing things. They go, 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 go. They say a lot of reassuring things. I got that. You're, it's, you know, they love to be seen. Look how I say they. <laughs> like, not me. <laughs> no, but I've dealt with them too. They love to be seen as like the most helpful person in the world, you know, just indispensable. I guess it's about being liked and approved of, right? They'll always be there for you. And then boom, they fall apart. They disappear and you're left cleaning up the mess. So when someone's holding, the, holding themselves and their self-esteem together by overperforming, they get exhausted. They get resentful. This crash happens. And now they're also humiliated because they, you know, they did, did let you down and you're not thinking good thoughts about them. And if you complain that they let you down, you just might get the rage reaction or the ghost reaction that my friend gave me. Now, whether you're an underperformer or an overperformer or both, there is a way through these conflicts without burning bridges. And it depends on both people being able to communicate honestly about their own role in the conflict, you know, being comfortable, just kind of going, oh yeah, I do do that, oh yeah. If both people can work on themselves and if both people can at the same time be a little more accepting of themselves and their loved ones, there's room for all of us in the friendships that we have. There's room for us to be a little bit quirky for me, for you. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, 
think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.